We're going through the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. It's taken 68 weeks, but we are now in chapter 10. And have I got a surprise for you. We're going to do this entire chapter this morning. Almost, almost. almost. One verse we'll say. Almost. In, in this chapter, we're, giving, we're, we're given... Sorry, Pastor DeGarmo sitting here just really distracted me. What, what are you doing over here? And where is your wife? Nursery. She was acting up again, wasn't she? Amen. <laughs> In this chapter, we're given the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Some may feel it's unnecessary to read these genealogies when we come to them in the Bible, but they are here for a purpose. Amen. Let's not forget that 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture includes genealogies. Genesis 10 is here by the inspiration of God. And if God put it in here, then it must be important for us. In some way, this will prove to be profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, and maybe all of those. If you've been attending here for any length of time, you know I believe strongly in making our way through the Bible verse by verse. I'm not against topical preaching. I do that from time to time as the Lord leads. But I like this method of feeding the sheep because we end up with a proper diet. I could get up here week after week and pound the pulpit on my favorite topics, but then you're only getting fed a peanut butter and chocolate diet because that's my favorite. Or I can go methodically through God's Word and we can all deal with the coleslaw along the way. When we go through God's Word, rather than picking and choosing from God's Word, we end up with a steady diet of both the meat and milk of God's Word that we may grow thereby. We got a taste of this very diet last time when we looked at the curse upon Canaan in the end of chapter 9, the blessing of the God of Shem, the enlargement of Japheth, and the fact that Japheth would find his dwelling in the tents of Shem. For some of you, last week was like stomaching broccoli. For others, it was like enjoying ice cream. This week may have some of that same flavor. Some may like it, others may not. But we all need to understand that scriptures are profitable. And if you were raised the way I was, you learned to not complain about the food that is brought to the table. That's why I hate coleslaw to this day. Dad had a rule, don't make any noises, don't grunt, don't, or else you eat it all. Well, a pot of coleslaw came to the table, and I was like, eh. He's like, what? <laughs> eat it. Eat it raw. So I hate coleslaw to this day. Thanks, Dad. But I also don't complain about anything that comes to the table. <laughs> Amen. So don't complain. It's, this is what the Lord has brought to the table today. And so with that, we come to Genesis chapter 10, and we're going to read this entire chapter. I'll butcher some of these names, but it needs to be done. 
when Paul besought Timothy to abide in Ephesus, while he went over into Macedonia, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation and to doctrine. Read the Scriptures, then exhort the Scriptures, um, and then give doctrine from the Scriptures. And so here we go. Let's read Genesis chapter 10. I'll do my best to properly pronounce these names in the Hebrew. But after this first reading, I'm going back to the Americanized way and sometimes the redneck way. <laughs> Genesis chapter 10, verses 1 through 32, the Bible says, Now these are the generations of the sons of Noach, Shem, Ham, Yepheth. And unto them were born sons after the flood, the sons of Yepheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavan, Tubal. Meshech, Tiras, and the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, and Rephath, and Togarma, and the sons of Yavan, and Elisha, and Tarshish, Kitim, Dodanim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. And the sons of Kam, Cush, and Mitzrayim, and Put, and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Seba, Kavila, and Sabta, and Rama, and Sabtika, and the sons of Rama, Sheba, Didon, Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said, even as, as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. In the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erik and Akkad and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Ashur and builded Nineveh and the city of Rechoboth and Kilak and Resen between Nineveh and Kelak, the same as a great city. And Mitzrayim begat Ludim, and Anaimim, and Lehabim, and Naphtukim, and Pathrosim, and Kaslokim, out of who came the Pelishtim, and Kaphtarim. And Canaan begat Sidon, his firstborn Keth, and the Yabusis, and the Emori, and the Gergashi and the Kivi, and the Arki, and the Sini, and the Arvadi, and the Simahi, and the Kamathi, and afterward the families of the Kananis spread abroad, and the border of the Kananis was from Sidon, as thou comest to Gerar, unto Azah, as thou goest unto Sidon, and Amara, and, Ad and Adma, and Seboim, and unto Lesha. These are the sons of Kam, after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Unto Sham, also the father of the children of Eber, the brother of Yephith, the elder, even unto him were born. The children of Sham, Alam, Ashur, and Arpachshad, and Lud, and Aram, and the children of Aram, Uts, and Kul, and Gether, and Mash, 
<laughs> I like that one. Mash. We all got that. And Arpachshad begat Shelach, and Shelach begat Eber. And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Heleg. And in his days was the earth divided, and his brother's name was Yoktan. And Yoktan begat Almodad, and Shelev, and Katsarmaveth, and Yerak, and Hadoram, and Uzal, and Dikla, and Obal, and Abami, and Abi Ma'el, and Sheba, and Ophir, and Kavilah, and Yobab. All these were the sons of Yoktan. And their dwelling was from Mesha, as thou goest unto Safar, a mount of the east. These are the sons of Sham, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noach, after their generations, in their nations. By these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. <laughs> Come on now, you ain't getting that anywhere else. <laughs> I don't care what church you go to. That's it, man. That's how you do it. <laughs> I am literally sweating up here. <laughs> all right. That's all you get. For now on, it's my way. All right. <laughs> oh, y'all are too kind. All right. We see from verse 1 and following that we're all one race. You can tell this is a pet peeve of mine now. I've, I've harped on this the last several weeks or so. At some point in the message, I brought this up. All people have descended here from Noah. Now, if professing Christians would embrace this truth, then there would be no need for terms like interracial church. There'd be no terms for interracial marriage. Why? There's only one race. Acts 17, 26, I've quoted this several times. And God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. There are not multiple races of mankind. There is only one race of mankind. Therefore, Genesis 10 has nothing to do with races. You say, well, I know that, but you may, but it's important we understand this because there's a lot of people, as I've mentioned at the end of chapter 9, who take the end of chapter 9 and they build that into a racist doctrine. And then they accompany chapter 9 with chapter 10 to back up their belief. And they've got it all wrong, obviously. Some may be wondering if there's only one race and why are there different skin colors. It's because of melanin in our bodies. Did you know that we all have the same melanin? Some just produce more than others. And it leads to different pigmentation. This is why in, in 2010, a Nigerian couple in the UK gave birth to a non-albino, white-skinned, blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl. There was nothing funny that happened there. That's just how she was born. There was no, no uh, immorality. This is how, on February the 26th, 2019, a Nigerian couple gave birth to, to twins. One was black and one was white. I read of one account where a white couple, uh, the husband was in the delivery room. She gave birth to a black child. He wanted, immediately wanted a divorce and walked out. He eventually agreed to a paternity test, found out that he was, in fact, the father, and an ancestry test revealed he had a 30% African descent. You know, if the world would just believe the Bible, there'd be no racism. Amen. Amen. Biblically speaking, there may be many ethnicities, but there's only one race, Amen. the human race. Noah Webster, in his 1828 dictionary, defines race as the 
lineage of a family or continued series of descendants from a parent who is called the stock. A race is the series of descendants indefinitely. Thus, all mankind are called the race of Adam. We descended from Adam, didn't we? God narrowed that down to Noah. And here we're getting the account uh, of how this began to spread out. And it's amazing how close science can get to the truth and still deny the truth. You ever notice that? Consider the NBCNews.com article posted July 2nd, 2006, entitled, We All Have the Same Ancestors, Researchers Say. Now keep in mind, these are not Bible-professing researchers. The article reads, quote, You would have to go back in time only 2,000 to 5,000 years, and probably on the low side of that range, to find somebody who could count every person alive today as a descendant. Well, guess what happened in that time frame? About 4,300 years ago, there was a flood, and God started over. But, but get this, the, the article goes on to say, Furthermore, Olson and his colleagues have found that if you go back a little further, about five to 7,000 years, everybody living today has exactly the same set of ancestors. Well, guess what happened about 6,000 years ago? God created Adam and Eve. Imagine that. Science is catching up with the Bible. Of course, we all have the same parents if we believe the Bible. Therefore, racism should find no place in your life. Racism will not be tolerated in this church. If it surfaces, I'll deal with it quickly and decisively. We're all one blood created by God in His image, and all need to be reached for Christ. And that's the issue, because sometimes when people allow that racism to settle in, they don't want to go reach somebody who looks different than them. Wait a minute, they're creating the image of God as well. Now, when we simply read this chapter without studying it, it may not seem like much. Many will read through it. It's just another genealogy. Let me check the box on my Bible reading checklist and move on. But there's more than meets the eye here. And with some examination, this really becomes quite a great chapter in the Bible. Of course, they're all great, I guess. Forgive me, Lord. I... <laughs> this chapter is more than just a list of names. It is known as the table of nations. It's unique in that it gives an account of the spreading forth of the nations in the earth after the flood in a genealogical fashion. That's what verse 32 is telling us. These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. By these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. So this is not only genealogical. But this is geographical. We get some information through this chapter which shows us the general directions in which everybody began to spread out on the earth as they settled. I briefly mentioned some of that last week. If you took the time here to break all these down, and it's quite an endeavor, but if you took the time to research all this and learn these names and what nations they represent and all of these things, you'll, you'll get finer detail of where everybody uh, spread out. I find that an interesting exercise, and it is valuable to do that, but it's not valuable for the message, so we're going to leave that alone, and you can do that on your own time, I'm sure. So what can we learn from this table of nations? One thing for sure that we can draw from this is that God is sovereign in the world. God knows the nations. You see that here? He, he, he knows what's happening on the earth. He knows who they are, 
where they are, and what they do. There is nothing hid from our God. He knows everything about His creation. Psalm 47, verses 7 and 8. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing ye praises with understanding. God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of His holiness. And since God knows all about the nations, then He knows all about us as individuals as well. In fact, the Bible says God knows so much about us that the very hairs of our head are numbered. What a thought. He knows who we are. He knows where you are. He knows what you do. In the strictest sense then, there is no such thing as hidden sin. Because you can't hide anything from God. He knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. He knows your every move. And if you don't know Him this morning, this ought to make you tremble. Because you're going to stand before God. And He knows all that you've done. Now, not only do we see how God knows the nations in the earth, but we can also ascertain how God is merciful to the nations of the earth here in this chapter. There's a man here that seems to leap off at the page at us named Nimrod. He's in verses 8 through 10. We may talk about him more next week as we get into chapter 11. But he began to be a mighty one in the earth, the Bible says. He became powerful. But it's, it's used in the sense that he was like a warrior tyrant. In verse 9, he's called a mighty hunter. Most see this not only referring to conquering the great beast, but that he became a pursuer of men in the sense that he wanted to acquire more power and rule over people. But notice that this was before the Lord. In other words, the Lord saw it. All of Nimrod's rebellion took place before the Lord. The Lord sees everything. And by the way, the name Nimrod means let us rebel. And we see in verse 10 that he became the ruler of the first kingdom. After the flood and before Nimrod, it appears men were content to be rulers over their own home. But Nimrod began to bring men under his governmental subjection. And I would imagine this was initially being achieved by violence and fear. And so we see how quickly, listen, we see how quickly the world is descending right back into what God had cleansed it from. Remember before the flood, God looked upon the earth and He declared it was corrupt and filled with violence. And here violence is beginning to build up again in the earth. This not only grieves the heart of God, but have you ever just paused for a minute and thought how strange this must have been for Noah, who saw violence on both sides of the flood, who saw the destruction of everything and everybody he knew, except for those eight souls, himself included, on the ark, and then he gets off the ark, and it's not long till sin shows back up. It's not long till violence starts to propagate again. It must have grieved him as well. But, but the point here is, chapter 10, it is not a list of people who deserved mercy. And we know this not only because of Nimrod, 
But we know that several of these nations listed became very wicked. I mentioned that last time about the nations we find in the land of Canaan. In fact, God is so merciful, even though they got very wicked, that we'll learn in the, in the Scriptures that He gave those nations in the land of Canaan over 400 years to repent. But eventually their iniquity was full. And He had to go in and judge them. And we'll see in the next chapter, most were already a rebellious people even before the dividing of the nations. And they continued to rebel after God confounded their language. You see, God had every right to destroy mankind. Except for one thing. God made a promise back in Genesis 3.15. God doesn't give up on the people here. I want you to notice that in chapter 10. He doesn't give up. Most of these are going to go their own way apart from God. And even though they deserve to be destroyed, God doesn't do that. God in His mercy continues to pursue them. He he pursues after sinners in His love just as He is still doing today. I, I know we use the term, I found the Lord and I understand that and I use it. But what we really understand is God sought us out. He pursued us because He loves us and He wants us to come to repentance and enter into a relationship with Him. We don't deserve it, but it's His mercy. And that's what we see here. We're not here today because we earned it. God has pursued us in His love. We could never earn God's salvation. But we're an assembly of the redeemed this morning because God extended mercy to the nations. What a thought. Not only do we see here in chapter 10 that God knows the nations, that God extends mercy to the nations, but we'll find that God has a plan for the nations. And it all fits into God's master plan. This is now the second time up to this point in our series through the book of Genesis, where an entire chapter has been devoted to lineages. The first was in chapter 5. And we saw the generations of Adam to Noah. And here in chapter 10, we get the generations of the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. In in chapter 5, there are ten names listed. For the first nine men that are listed in chapter 5, each one of them is said to have had more sons and daughters. Remember all that when we were there? It's a genealogy stretching from Adam to Lamech saying not only did they have this one, but they had other sons and daughters. And the tenth one listed, of course, is Noah. And it appears from Scripture he only had the three sons. The reason I bring this up is it is very likely that millions, possibly billions, of people were alive just before the flood. And yet, out of all the world's population there in chapter 5, only ten names are given. Why? Well, remember, the ultimate focus as we progress through the Bible is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is... Him being seen on the pages of Scripture. 
It is building up to the new covenant, the new testament. And as we go through this, we, we find that he is the ultimate focus. He is the promised seed of Genesis 3.15. And even though there are a great number of people on the earth during Noah's day, the emphasis is all about the arrival of Christ. And that's the reason. That's the reason for the focus of the lineage of chapter 5, only listing these ten men out of all humanity. So in chapter 5, we get only the record of the seed line. You understand what I mean by that? The promised seed line. How is God going to bring the promised seed into the world? started with Adam, of course. It went to Seth, Enos, Canaan. Mahalaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. And during the flood, we know all humanity got reduced down to eight souls. Noah and his wife, Noah's three sons and, and their wives. And now after all the events we've studied in chapter 6 through 9, we come to chapter 10, we get to sort of collect ourselves again, and we get refocused back on the seed line of the Messiah. Because remember, Jesus is the key. And like in chapter 5, the births that are listed here in chapter 10 are not all-inclusive. These men had other sons and daughters than those, given us, than those that are given to us here. How do we know that? Because once we get to chapter 11, we're going to see a detailed version of, of Shem's line. And every one of them, it's going to say they had other sons and daughters. And, and so we, we get this refocus here on the line of the Messiah, and we get all these names, although it's not all-inclusive. And so if Christ is the one we're looking for in chapter 10, then why bother giving the lineages of Japheth and Ham as well? Why not just zero in on Shem? After all, as we saw last week, Christ would be, He would come forth out of the tents of Shem. Well, their listing is important because as I've already stated, this is the table of nations. But also notice the order here in chapter 10. In every place that we find the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, listed together, they're always listed in that order. Shem, Ham, Japheth. When we come to chapter 10, we find that as this is broken down after verse 1, they're, they're listed that way in verse 1. But then as their genealogies are broken down, this table of nations is broken down, it's not in the order of Shem, Ham, Japheth. We find Japheth is first, and then Ham, and then Shem is mentioned last. Why this order? And, and here's what you need to understand here in chapter 10. We are beginning to set the stage now for the arrival of Abram. Abram is going to come through Shem's line. Notice in verse 21 here we read, Unto Shem also the father of all the children of Eber. But then we notice in, in verse 24 that Eber is actually the great-grandson of Shem. It goes Shem, Arphaxad, Salah, and then Eber. Eber is emphasized right away here in verse 21 with Shem because it's meant to highlight a very important fact. So what's so important about Eber? It's through Eber that Abram, the Hebrew, would arrive six generations later. And the term Hebrew is an offshoot of the form of Eber. 
Wow, preacher, this is fascinating. (laughs) This is really fascinating. What does this have to do with God's plan for the nations? Because I still don't know what's so important about setting the stage for Abram in the table of nations. Well, listen to what God said to Abram in Genesis 17.5. Neither shall thy name anymore be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. Why? For a father of many nations have I made thee. Now listen to Genesis 22.18. Speaking to Abraham. And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed. Who is the seed that's going to be a blessing to all of these nations? According to Galatians 3, it's Christ. Galatians 3.8, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Galatians 3.16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Galatians 3.29, And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. God most certainly has a plan for the nations. What's His plan? It's redemption through Christ. He's the promised seed of Genesis 3.15. He's the seed of Abraham. And it's all summed up in one name, Jesus. Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given under heaven. All nations given under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so we find in Genesis 10, that while we all have a common ancestor, we are a divided people. It starts out united in verse 1, it ends in verse 32, and we are divided. This chapter, as we go through this and we see this division in the earth, God wanted them to spread out, but remember, they were not moving. We'll see that next week in Genesis 11. They were not scattering as God wanted them to, so God had to confound their language. And this division had to be forced upon them. And so as we read this, where is our hope? How is it that we can be united again? The hope of the nations and the hope of mankind is the Redeemer. God says in Haggai 2.7, And I will shake the nations and the desire of all nations shall come. Who's the desire of nations? It's Jesus Christ. Through Christ, God would bridge the gap between sinful man and a holy God. And through Christ, God will make a way for sinners to be brought back into fellowship with one another. Have you ever wondered why your own family doesn't even get along? And there's division? It's because Christ, He's not the common bond in the family. Come on now, help me preach. When you try to get together with them, you just can't seem to get along. There's tension there. You can feel it. It's unseen. You know it's there. You can't talk about Christ the way you want to. Why? There's no connection there in Christ. Is everybody with me? And then have you ever wondered... 
why you end up with closer family ties to members in your local church. Why can't I have this relationship with my own flesh and blood? It's because in here, Christ is our common bond. We are the family of God. We are unified around His doctrine. Our commonality is around God. He is the one who has brought us together today. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, there is one body, there's one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Our unity this morning is in the Lord. How is it that we can unite as sinners in here, but the world out there cannot unite as sinners? It's because we're sinners saved by grace. We, we who were once separated from God, we who were once separated from each other, have found common ground at the foot of the cross. And isn't it fascinating, in light of this chapter, how our church is made up of people who were once scattered all over the place. If we went around the room today, we would find that there are, are Southerners. Praise God! There's Northerners. That's okay. There's Easterners, whatever. There's people from the West who don't even say amen. There's yuppies, amen. We have them all. We have military, we have civilians, we have people with different backgrounds, different cultures, and yet for some reason we can all come in here today and we can feast from the same table and we're not mad at each other and we're not arguing with each other and we're happy to see each other. Why? Because our common bond is Christ. Whoop. Good night. If I was y'all, how's it go, sister? This preacher's better, this preaching's better than y'all letting on. Amen. That's it. Amen. But we're just going to stay with it. Amen? We're united as brothers and sisters in Christ because we've all plunged in the same fountain. Now, I want you to get this. I'll bring this to a close. There are 70 names, groups, and nations that are listed as descending from Noah's three sons. And and I'm not a big numbers guy, okay? So just forgive me here. Uh, but there is some, something to numerology. The number 70 conveys the idea of totality. We, we see 70 showing up several times in the Bible. But I want you to consider one occurrence as it relates to Genesis chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, in verses 1 and 2, we read this. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before His face into every city and place. Whether, him, whether himself would come, whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, isn't this interesting? Jesus initially uses the same number of 70 to take the gospel to the people. And what does the Great Commission tell us to do? It says, to go ye therefore and teach all nations. Whoop. Maybe this is just for me, man. I'm studying this going, man, this is awesome. Get this now. The very people who have rebelled 
and become divided in the earth, the gospel is being taken to them. Why doesn't God just judge the nations of the earth already? Well, the day's coming soon that He'll do that. But in the meantime, God is still offering hope to the nations. And, and what we see in Genesis 10, and, and this listing of the 70 who are scattered throughout the earth, and what we see in Luke 10 is Jesus using 70 to begin the process of taking the gospel to all the scattered nations. And this is remarkable to me. And, and aren't you glad that God didn't give up on the nations? So God, He knows all the nations. He extends mercy to all the nations. And God has a plan for all the nations. And at this very moment, as part of His plan, God is using ambassadors from His holy nation to reach people in all the nations by sharing the gospel with the lost, calling them to repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now get this, in Genesis 10 and verse 5, we read, By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands. Everyone after his tongue, after their families, in their nations. In verse 20, these are the sons of Ham, after their families, after their tongues, in their countries, and in their nations. Verse 31, these are the sons of Shem, after their families, after their tongues, in their lands, after their nations. But one day, we will no longer be divided. But we will be assembled with people out of every nation. Revelation 7-9. After this, I beheld and lo, a great, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, and peoples, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. How can there be such a gathering of people in Revelation after such a separation of people in Genesis? How is it that we're all going to be unified in our song of praise to the Lamb of God? It's because God has a heart for the nations. God is sending His gospel to all the nations, through His church, using believers like us to declare the truth that salvation is only found in Christ. You say, I don't feel like I'm a part of that. Are you witnessing at your workplace? Are you witnessing to your family, to your neighbor, to your friends, to your classmates, to those that you recreate with? Hey, listen, this is how God has chosen to reach the nations right here today in Rapid City through a church called Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. And you may not feel like, like you're a part of all of that, but you are. Do you go to the press? Do you, do you help print the Word of God? Do you help assemble the Word of God? You can come here tonight during choir practice. You can help stuff the Word of God into those packets. Say, how is that helping? It's helping. You can take the tracks. You can put them in. When you go out to eat, you can put them in the restrooms. You can put them at the gas stations. What are we doing? We're reaching the nations. So to the believer here today, I ask you, 
Are you actively taking the gospel to the nations? Are you sharing the gospel with others? Are you involved in our outreach programs? I don't know how many showed up yesterday to saturate. Are you involved? It's our job to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. 1 Chronicles 16.24 says, Declare His glory among the heathen, His marvelous works among all nations. If you're still an unbeliever here this morning, I want you to know Jesus is not one hope. He is your only hope. And the good news is God wants you no matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've done. His only requirement is you come through the blood of the Lamb sacrificed for us. Let's pray.